Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me alongside soccer journalist Sam Griswold and media executive Grail Howlett, formerly known as the Mighty Might of the Midfield, now just a broken-down old man who seems to be falling <laughs> apart as we speak. Today on OTB, we check in with Professor Stephen Bank. He was, uh, he's was he been a guest on OTB before. Um, he's a professor of law at UCLA, my old job. But he's uh, he's really insightful about, uh, about all things legally with what's happening with the collective bargaining agreement with MLS, that new agreement which seems to be on the precipice of, of happening, and also the U.S. men and women's uh, soccer team, their, their uh, constant negotiation with U.S. soccer. So uh, I always enjoy talking to him. But we uh, have the guys today. We have a lot more to talk about as well. Tab Ramos taking over at Houston. I think that's really interesting. Klinsman out at uh, Hertha Berlin. Uh, that's a story in and of itself. We could take up a whole show about it. We will with Grail Hall, uh, not with Grail Hallett, with uh, what's his name? His name Grant is Grant uh, Wall. Grant Wall, Grant Grail, all these preppy names. <laughs> we're not, we're not I related. <laughs> I can't keep up with them all. NYC, will they actually have a stadium? I like the sounds of it. It's, uh, it's in the Bronx. So uh, a lot to talk about. So OTB is brought to you each week by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for their pro membership. Soccer, member, uh, Soccer America's pro membership is only $4.90 a month or $49 a year. Today's show is also brought to you by Ticket IQ. And who is shuffling papers while I'm reading advertisements? That's your neck, Sam. Oh my God, Sam is cracking his <laughs> neck as we're doing the, the, the intro. But so, uh, Ticket IQ is the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets anywhere. You can visit and register on TicketIQ.com and enter OTB10 in the promo code. And guess what? You get $10 off your purchase immediately. Can't lose. All right, guys, looking forward to talking to Professor Bank. Uh, I put an S in there sometimes, so I got I to gotta watch that. But um, <laughs> Professor Bank is like uh, – he can going to call him Banksy. Banksy. Um, <laughs> that's an artist, right? A New York exactly, street artist. Exactly, of yeah. course. So um, – uh, I always love talking to him because he sort of, I read his tweets all the time. Uh, he follows these cases. He knows what he speaks. And uh, he's, I love when he breaks it down for us. It makes a lot more clarity after he has uh, been on the show. So I'll uh, be interested to see what the, what the players have come up with in MLS and then also the national teams. Yeah. What are you guys thinking? Well, he's, uh, he's the, the most astute guy I know in terms of the legal side of uh, the soccer, the domestic soccer world, but also knows a lot about international soccer and uh, teaches that course out there in uh, US, UCLA. So I love, love hearing from the professor. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested too to hear about, you know, we were talking about that article a couple of weeks ago about the Liga MX MLS difference and, you know, how the players can make more at the top in MLS, but it's sort of better for the middle ground to be down in Mexico. So I'm, I'm curious right. if, if this, uh, this new agreement has addressed that and how, if so. So this is the thing, guys. It's almost like you know, we talk about the country, domestic politics, where a healthy middle class makes a healthy country, right? So a healthy middle class player is where, you know, they're really the engine room. You have your stars that come in for a year or two, but you really need those guys to come into a program, stay for five, six years, build up community relations, get the work done, uh, you know, because and you maybe have two or three marquee players that come in during that period of time. Yeah. So, you know, you can't have the top so top loaded. So it looks like. Are you throwing be- your hat in the ring? That sounded like a platform, Pliny. I'll be your campaign manager if you want. I have enough, don't I have we, enough don't on my desk. Room? Don't we have room for another one? Come on, jump in the uh, pool. 
I don't have a billion dollars, so otherwise <laughs> I jump in. But hey, so something that's interesting. We'll move along here. We'll uh, look forward to talk to uh, Professor Bank. But um, the Tab Ramos move, I think it's more than just a really a great player uh, and a, a great development a person who's developed some really great teams, the under twenties, and he's been doing it for a long time, but I didn't like it because I thought tab should have one been interviewed for the U S national team job. Yeah. He knows the American player. We love the way he played. We love the way he coaches. We love the way his teams play. Um, and he wasn't really given any, uh, wasn't given his due. So it's interesting. He, it, it's almost like he jumped ship and said, okay, guess what? Fine. I'm going to Houston. So I think it's a good move for him. Yeah, but, maybe, uh, an in, maybe an I, interim. Maybe yep. an interim thing, Flinny. This may be the springboard to that, to the Burhalter job if Burhalter doesn't work out. Maybe right. he has two years at the Dynamo, and then he ends up and that job opens it up. I think, it's, I think it's a good move for him. I think it only helps his resume, frankly. You know, I think it was interesting to talk to you there for a second, and you didn't mention system. The word system. I didn't. I, what, I, the Burhalter I, I, no, system. I'm going to bring it up later. <laughs> no, you bring up the Burhalter system later? <laughs> yes, I will. So, uh, so that's yeah. good. So, you know. I mean, I find it first. interesting. He's been, you know, 10 years he was the USU 20 national team coach. I mean, that, a that's time. a long time. In, For any coach. To know, be any coach. Yeah. Yeah. Frankly. Um, but look, at the, look at the last team he produced. How yeah, good no, he's done, he's done a fantastic job. I yeah. just think it's it's strange you know either he really liked it or he was really holding out for that national team job but i, I think it speaks a little bit to the dysfunction that's happening at u.s soccer now i mean they seem to be trying to 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 make some changes uh jay burhalt have stepped down i think this yeah. past week or he's to the end of the month um but it seems like something was going on there politically uh, a lot of the workforce wasn't happy apparently what was the glass ceiling article that came said out? it was a very macho male dominated environment i mean this oh. was the stuff no, no this I, want is to, the stuff, I want to apply for a job no this is the stuff you read in the press right i mean right. that's what came out and that was kind of the uh environment that he created and, and this has been in the works for a long time it was like yeah. a formality that he stepped down but now you know, who's next, who's going to fill the shoes. Um, yeah. I mean, I just feel like U S soccer just continues to be, can't find its own way. Did we ever, did we ever really recover from the Klinsman debacle? And speaking of Klinsman, uh, what he stepped down after like what, 71 days or something and heard of Berlin. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a short tenure. We don't, we don't want to steal too much thunder because I, I believe next week we have uh, Grant Wall coming on the show who wrote a very scathing uh, review of the uh, Klinsman tenure at, uh, at Bertha. Yeah, uh, but I mean, here's the thing, it, you know, uh, I mean, it'll be, well, we'll be old news next week because the story is what the story is, but um, it was 76 days after taking the job. So Klinsman... Yeah. He's only 55 years old, which is, which is pretty amazing. Um, but he, he said, oh God, you know, it's, he was already on the supervisory board um, and only 76 days there. And they spent a ton of money in that time. Well, yeah, so, but the, the, the one thing we don't know is if he had a say in the players that, that they went out and got, because I think there was a sporting director there. And, and he's kind of implying that he didn't have the support of them, and again, I think Grant's perspective on this will be really helpful. Is that just an excuse? I have no idea, but they spent 80, whatever the amount of money was on four top players, but it sounded to me like he wasn't really on board with the guys that they brought in, so. Well, that's another whole story then, but I also yeah. think, 
you know, I always go back to some of the greats in other sports that were not good coaches, Michael Jordan, Larry right. Bird, you know, where you just, to you, it was easy to execute these things, but uh, it's amazing. He was such a great player yep. that it is amazing. If anybody else uh, went through what he's gone through, they wouldn't have another coaching job. Agree? Well, I mean, I mean, to be fair, he had some su success with the German national team. And then he, oh, had you know, the rumor on that one, Yergi Lowe. Right, but then and he had some success early on with the U.S. national team. So it's not like you can say the entire thing with the national team was a disaster, but certainly the, the, the last three or four years were not good at all. Right, right. And, you know, he, did, and he, and he obviously has not had good luck coaching clubs because he had the very short stint at Bayern. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, and Hertha are in an interesting kind of situation right now because um, they, I think they really want to start to kind of you know, wield some weight in Germany. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. the capital, it's a huge market and they've never been a very good team. So I think their, their sort of long-term goal is to, you know, how can we get to this team to be in the top four every year? Uh, and I think that, you know, may have clashed with Klinsmann on in the day to day. Yeah. Um, it looks like, you know, look, uh, we're New Yorkers. Uh, I live in New York city, obviously. I forgot to tell you guys, I, um, I was at the Oscars, not at the actual Oscars. I was at the Four Seasons and had a couple of drinks with the, uh, the, the whole entire cast of Parasite, which was a lot of fun. You are, you are so connected. Just, just hobnobbing. You know, by, well, by the way, by the way I, know you're, I know your Korean's really good, so that probably wasn't. No, no, do. Set, ase, tase. I used to. I'm a, <laughs> oh, I have my black belt Taekwondo, and what I learned was don't get in a fight, and I can count to 10 in Korean. That's my okay, whole thing. Okay, there you go. Um, but, you know, as the host of OTB, the doors open for me when I go to the Academy Awards. It really <laughs> well, is. Of course, of course. Uh, but I, they I, thought, were, I mean, I was, I was so pleasantly surprised to see you sitting next to Brad Pitt. That was nice. Well, that was me. That wasn't Brad. He wasn't <laughs> was there. That was a nice touch. <laughs> um, I had to sit through Once Upon a Time in America. Great film. But um, my favorite. Watching my, my girlfriend's jaw open the entire time, just drooling. Yeah. Watching Brad Pitt's like, hey, honey, I'm sitting right here. Relax. Take you don't look that way when you get up on the roof and, and fix the satellite dish with your shirt off? Come on. Uh, it would be impressive if I took my pants off. That's what <laughs> would be impressive. So, um, so, yeah, so it was interesting. I tell you, I was uh, my favorite of the year, because I always go for the comedy, was Jojo Rabbit, yeah. uh, which came out of nowhere. I put that movie in. I didn't know what to expect. Sure. And I, I laughed. It was, and it had a message, you know. It was a sort of yeah. Man Frank story. It was, it was wonderful. Um, and then I loved Once Upon a Time in America. But meeting the, the cast from Parasite, I was really pulling for them by the next day. They were just, they were so excited to be there. God, it was a great uh, story. You know, with like the jaded LA Hollywood thing. Sure. People, but they just were. So we're sitting in the Four Seasons and we're watching uh, Oscar coverage the night before. And every time their movie would come up and be referred to, they'd all cheer like really loud. So I was kind of like, it just was really nice. It was really fun to see. So. Best to, best to them. So anyway, let's get back to soccer, <laughs> shall we? There's a little deviation. But, over, it's become over the movie, apparently. Yeah, but living in New York City, and, you know, we've all been to games at Yankee Stadium. Uh, Boy, the subway works. That's great. It, that's exactly what I want to see happen in Boston, where you have it, you know, in the city, um, which is counter to the model in the, uh, you know, the NFL. So it sounds like the uh, NYCFC – is finally maybe has some traction with the new stadium. What do you think? Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, 
you, you've apparently got de Blasio, the mayor, is on board. Uh, Cuomo, I think, has weighed in and said on paper he's kind of, you know, he's, he's kind of on board. It's a 25,000 seat stadium in the parking lots that are adjacent, essentially on the, of the grounds of the old Yankee Stadium. They're next to the right. new Yankee Stadium. And it's all part of a huge development, um, a hotel, retail, um, affordable housing. I think it's a billion dollar project all in, the, of right. which the stadium is part of it. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think it would be a great place to have it. And as you were saying, Flinny, you get Metro North going straight there for the Yankees, and you've got the subway right there, and right. mass transit, perfect. I mean, it would be the great. Components, if, if, the, com the components are all there. Sam, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, as someone who lives up in Westchester, right by Metro North, I mean, it's, it's a great location for me um, and for a lot of people. Um, but watching a game in Yankee Stadium has been – I don't know. Uh, kind yeah. of depressing. So it's terrible. Um, yeah, I think they're they playing do, on a tortilla chip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they could do some cool things, and it's supposed to be twenty-five thousand seats, so yes. not not huge, but I think you can work a stadium of that size into a neighborhood in a cool no, way. No, that's and, good. Uh, that's that's kind of the template for the uh, soccer-specific stadium. Yeah. Capacities for the most twenty-five to thirty, and uh, you know that would be great news. I, that would just I, be great again. News. I think I think the reason it works is because you tie it to things like parkland on the river, affordable housing. You know, there's an economic incentive that a lot of the local politicians can get behind right. rather than just saying, hey, we're going to throw another stadium. N never in the history of stadiums in the United States have they actually generated the revenue that people have said they would before they get built. Right. I mean, we've yeah. gone through yeah. this with every stadium. And then they move after sport. four years. But that's the NFL usually yeah. or a baseball team. That's like it's for soccer. Weird. Yeah, yeah. sorry. It's also weird, Kevin. You can, I'm sure, relate to this. But I mean, as someone who grew up in Boston, I mean, the idea of kind of rooting for a team inside Yankee Stadium is uh, very <laughs> tough. So Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll be happy to to go somewhere else whenever this is done. Well, it's also it, it's also devoid of atmosphere because of the way the pitch is configured and the way the stands are set up. I mean, none of it makes for a good soccer experience. Well, I, I tell you this: I've actually been impressed by the fans and going to the game and the access and everything in spite of all those things. Yeah. Well, so I could sure. imagine if they have a 25,000 seat stadium, you're going to want to be at that stadium. It's going to be a fun time and people are going to buy tickets to that, you know, Absolutely. so it's, because it's, it's as, as bad as some things are at Yankee stadium, going to an NYCFC game is, is fun. It, yeah. It really I'm just is, keeping, so. I'm keeping a little dose of skepticism just because of the whole Miami stadium. <laughs> With Beckham. Oh my God, that was, no, I, I mean, I just saying, you know, you know, 30 years and, now, I think. And, until it's a done deal, I'm going to just kind of be somewhat skeptical. But I think it sounds better than anything thus far. And they were looking in Queens and they were looking in Yonkers and they were looking, yeah. you know, here and there and everywhere. And that makes great sense. The Bronx is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. hey, uh, so, Sam, I was thinking about you with the uh, Syria uh, U.S. men's national team player, um, Anthony Robinson. Uh, he was supposed to. To go to Milan, what happened? Yeah, this one kind of came out of left field, um, but he was apparently supposed to join Milan from Wigan uh, this January. The, uh, the deal fell apart at the last minute because uh, Milan had some concerns with the, uh, the medical. Um, but yeah, it, it was a bit strange. Um, 
also because Milan's kind of, I mean, I won't say their best player, but one of their, you know, very few bright spots this season has been their left back, which is uh, Robinson's position. So I don't know exactly how he would have fit into the team if he would have been sort of the deputy. Um, but yeah, I, I was, you know, pulling for it. I always think it's cool when, you know, guys try them, you know, try themselves out in different leagues and with different experiences. Um, I'm curious now, apparently Chelsea, Aston Villa and Newcastle are all supposed to be interested. Um, although Milan, I think also were thinking about revisiting the deal in the summer, but, um, he's not a player I know a ton about, um, I have to be honest, but, um, uh, he's not fully baked yet. I don't think uh, when I've watched him with the national team, it, it seems like he makes some positional errors. I, I don't know, you know, uh, kind of hit or miss. So I think he's still developing as a player, 22 years old. Yeah. So you don't know what you've, you've got yet, but, um, what I always think is interesting is like you were referring to Sam was when. I love when English players go overseas to either Spain or, or, or Italy mm -hmm. uh, to play because they do it so rarely. Mm -hmm. But they always talk about how an American player has such a tough time going to England because it's so different. You never really talk about the English player going anywhere else and, and they struggle there as well because it's a whole new culture um, you know, you know, for them. So I don't know. But I, so another, um, in other news, though, I was watching about uh, Neymar had his birthday. A lot of uh, PSG fans were worried because he's hurt. You got Carnival happening. Uh, a lot of opinions on Neymar. Mine always has not been positive. Uh, I think, you know, Grail, we've talked about this. You had Gab Marcotti came out and, and sort of was like positive about his career. Why don't you, why don't you take that side? I'm, I'm taking the negative side of his career. The Rory Smith article in the New York Times. Yeah, well, just, uh, you know, again, and this is, this is more about me and the types of players I like. I think, you know, kind of workman-like, team-focused, guys that make guys around them or women around them better. Um, I've always thought of Neymar as being a very kind of self-centered um, guy who would rather nutmeg somebody three times than score a goal. I think the fans that really like him like that side of him. They like the flair, the sizzle, the rainbows, the, you know, all sorts of different stuff. Um, and the way I look at it just, you know, as a fan is what does it all add up to? I just, you know, I think of other players that I really like, you know, obviously like Messi and guys that are compared Ronaldo. Ronaldo's not a big fan favorite of mine but, in any case, yeah, but, but, but Messi's I mean Messi's in another world I mean yeah, people but, were talking but, about Neymar to replace Messi and no, he's not even close I'm saying, I'm saying yeah. people talk about Neymar in the same sentence as Messi and I'm just saying that for me and this is just a personal thing I don't think all the flair and the sizzle and the incredible talent adds up to the his billing that's where I just think uh, he's I, I, short of the whole package that people describe right I think he has been he has not been a total success for sure. I mean, with, with the national team or, or where he's gone domestically since he's left Barcelona, certainly. Um, you know, part of the Brazilian culture with playing, I've played with guys like that. They're playing barefoot. Their skill is absolutely amazing. But they're more into Megan me. You know, one guy megged me twice. I stole the ball back, went down and scored. He did it again. Like, so uh, he's megged me four times, but I've scored two goals. So it's like, what are we playing here? Are we playing exactly. score goals or, yes. you know, and then – if you look at a player like uh, Firmino, he's got a flair, but it's always constructive. Yeah. He makes everybody around him better. So I think what happens – Sam, I'd be interested to see what you think because you love the skilled player. You love the flair. Um, but the ends has to justify the means. 
Yeah, I, I think, I mean, what I thought was really interesting about these two articles is that in some ways they are saying the same thing. Um, you know, they're both, they're basically saying that, you know, he was supposed to go to PSG so he could step out of Messi's shadow and, you know, basically right. win the Ballon d'Or. And essentially that hasn't happened. And he's even been, now been surpassed by guys that are younger than him, like Mbappe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what Marcotti is saying is he finally seems like he doesn't care anymore about keeping up with Messi right. and Ronaldo. And what yeah. Rory Smith is saying is, you know, he's now, it's now clear he's never going to win the Ballon d'Or because he's already been surpassed and, you know, he's just sort of fading away. Yeah, he was like um, 12th on the list, right? I think yeah. So I, it's interesting because in some ways they're saying like sort of the same thing. But um, I, I don't know. The, the thing that's tough with me with Neymar is that playing in the French League is, you know, exposure wise has really hurt him. I mean, yeah. nobody watches the French League. Um, yeah. I mean, PSG and, would be the one that they would watch. Yeah, and, you know, the couple times a year you see him is in the Champions League and you yeah. sort of tend to base everything on those games. But I think, you know, when you see the PSG score lines that come out, you know, 5 nothing, 6 nothing. I just think that's where it gets, you know, that's conducive to guys yeah. starting to showboat, trying all these tricks and everything. Um, is it bored, I maybe? I, yeah, I don't remember it as much, you know, when he was playing in Barcelona. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean... I think when you're up four nothing and you're trying to like rainbow a guy, you know, there's there's a little bit of a lack yeah, of respect there. Yeah, it um, doesn't seem very professional. It's yeah, and I think he's also yeah. Sam. I just think he's one of those guys who's never really happy in his current situation. He thinks mm -hmm. that he wants to do something else. Then he gets there and he's not happy with that situation. I mean, it's, by the way, he was at PSG for about eight minutes before he kind of started pouting. And he thought they should be going out and buying more players. First of all, they got a payroll that's just absurd already. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like he's one of those guys that instead of, like, he thinks ahead that this is what would be good for him. He, get, he can put Suarez and Messi behind. He, can, he, he can get the focus and the attention that he really needs. But then he gets in the situation and he's kind of like, ah, oh, this isn't really what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And then there was talk of him going back to Barcelona. And I'm like, I don't know how that would work. So, yeah, I just – I think he's going to end up being one of those players that, you know, his header will have a really good career, but not a great career. Yeah, and, and again, my – as, you know, as a player, you're just – I hate when guys try to nutmeg you during a game that means has consequences. You never see Messi do that. You don't see Ronaldo do that. Ronaldo used to get heat for just kind of doing a, too many stepovers maybe, but yeah. Neymar's taking that to the 10th power. So – and then – and not effective at times. So, and then he I wonders, think, and he's so thin, he like gets gets hurt because like you're yeah. holding onto the ball. You're, I think he's gotten better too, Flinny, in terms of feigning the injuries. I think about three years ago, oh yeah, the, that was really an issue with fans. Was the the rolling like you know from midfield all the way off the pitch after he right. was fouled. When everybody know, made fun of him. The embellishments, the grabbing the head, all of that exaggerated stuff. I think he's actually grown up in terms of that stuff, which is good. But, uh, again, I just uh, – I do I think he makes teams that much better with him on it? I really don't. Right, right. Uh, something I thought was interesting, thought of you again, Sam. Uh, Bundesliga and Serie A and La Liga all have incredibly exciting title races going on. Do we care? <laughs> well, that's my question. Uh, yeah, it was a very exciting weekend last weekend in Serie A. Um, Juventus got upset. Um, and uh, then we had uh, the derby between Inter and Milan up in Milan, which was a fantastic game. Milan actually went ahead 2-0 um, in the first half, and Inter came back with four goals in the second half to win that. 
Um, but Juve's loss, you know, paired with that result and then Lazio winning means that Inter and Juve are now tied at the top of the table. Lazio just one point back. Um, looking at the Bundesliga, what do we have? We have the top four teams all within four points of one another. Um, and then in La Liga, Real are three points um, ahead of Barca after kind of getting off to a slow start. So, I mean, I think my question is, you know, for years I feel like the knock on these leagues was that they weren't competitive. And now it's funny that it's sort of the reverse where the Premier League is um, That's true. Good you know, point. not yeah. at all competitive. But um, I still don't think anybody else cares about these these other title races going on. I mean, yeah, Liverpool's guys, playing so uh, Liverpool's playing so well. We feel sorry for Man City. To, uh, to be fair, you know, Sam, I, I totally get your point. But when you think about it, at least domestically here, the EPL gets so much more exposure mm-hmm. than the other because of the contract that they have with it, uh, uh, NBC, right? So, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. so they're just they're much more in people's faces on the weekends. I mean. You can find the Bundesliga on MSG. Uh, you can find, you know, Serie A and La Liga. But you have to look for it a little bit more. Or you can find it on ESPN dot plus four no, five ESPN plus. slash. No, no. So, no, so I honestly, I just, I just feel that uh, it's, just, uh, it's just exposure. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody, the EPL is on every weekend. Mm-hmm. and uh, But that's and, a new yeah. phenomenon, Grail. The Serie A used to be the, the – the league to watch here in the United States. Well, but then um, all the, uh, you know, time. back in the nineties and stuff, all the players were going to, to Syria, all the top yeah. players. And now in the last 15 years, plus they've all been going to the EPL. So, hey, so speaking of the EPL guys, yeah. uh, you know, this is a really underreported story as well. Sheffield United, they're now in fifth place ahead of the Spurs, yeah. uh, Manchester United and Arsenal and only one point behind Chelsea. I mean, what a great story that is. Yeah, it's a great story. You know, a club from the north of England uh, was a uh, was a steel town that fell on at hard times. Um, I believe, by the way, I believe it was this city that the great movie The Full Monty took place in. If you hadn't seen The Full Monty, uh, Sheffield was it, and it was a lot about kind of the uh, the fact that it had fallen on hard times. Um, and, I'm actually yeah, so recording. So, so I love. I mean, you know, as as a guy who lived in England, I love when the clubs like Sheffield United and Newcastle, these real hard scrabble towns that have fallen on tough times because the industries that they were built on have left, who have amazing fan support. When they do well, it's great. It, it's just yeah. it makes it makes you feel good because it's been a long time coming and they've been you know Sunderland Newcastle all these clubs in the north of England leads to a certain standpoint lots of ups and downs so for Sheffield United good good for them well what city isn't like that in England besides London a lot of cities in the north predominantly if I mean it's it's more than the north of England that was built on you know either you know industries that have kind of come and gone Mm -hmm. where Newcastle Sunderland places like that have really fallen on hard times so anyway, I, I feel good for them. I mean, for them to hold on to top six, I think is going to be challenging. Absolutely, but, uh, yeah, but, but still uh, a great story. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they're that, that they're ahead of, uh, you know, United and Arsenal and and uh, Spurs and stuff is just pretty incredible. A little little movement on the Chelsea front. You got yourself a new player there for your for your team, Grail. Yeah, I guess we're going to have to wait. Uh, I I think they have a verbal agreement with Hakim Zayek, uh, who's from Ajax. He's a forward. Um, Moroccan international, I think 26 years old. Uh, I, I haven't seen him play a lot, full disclosure, but I heard that he's really good. And Frank Lampard really wanted another 
guy up top who could score goals. The only issue is that he doesn't join the club till the summer. So he's not going to, he'll play out the season with IX and then he'll be ready to go for next season. But uh, yeah, I, I, no, I'm, I'm very excited. I, I, okay. I need to uh, bone up on him as a player. All right. Well, good stuff. We'll take a break here uh, on Over the Ball. We'll be back with Professor Stephen Bank talking to us about the collective bargaining agreement and uh, all that, that crazy legal mumbo jumbo that, uh, that goes into it. Listening to Over the Ball, we'll be back right after this. All right. Joining us now on Over the Ball, he's a returning champion here on OTB. Uh, he is a frequent commentator on soccer law issues, applying his business and tax experience as a legal affairs contributor to soccer, American Soccer Now, the website, and also other publications. He also explores these issues in depth in his course, International and Comparative Sports Law, as well as his perspective seminar uh, on law, lawyering, and the beautiful game. He's a professor of business law at UCLA, uh, one of my safety schools. Professor Stephen Bank, welcome to OTB. How are you? Good, Kevin. Thanks for having me. I'm kidding about the safety school thing. I, I couldn't even gotten close. Uh, I could have gone there for lunch, maybe. That would have been it. But um, I follow your stuff on Twitter. Uh, it's quite informative. Uh, I, I love the fact that you love this game. So um, that, that seems to help when, when people kind of get into it, because it's, it's very different culturally, you know, all around the world and kind of new to us here in America. But there's so much to keep up with. Uh, but the, the big news recently is the, the CBA, the Collective Bargaining Agreement, with MLS. Tell us a little bit about that and what's going on and what they've agreed on. Yeah, so the the collective bargaining agreement was a very different experience in, in 2020 than it was in 2015, but one could argue that 2015 set the ground set the groundwork or the foundation for 2020. So they had, uh, the, the players had uh, bargained um, very hard for a free agency in 2020. 15, but it was pretty limited. You had to be 28 years old and eight years of service at MLS, which wow. left you with a couple players, none of whom I think got very much. Um, moreover, it was capped free agency, um, uh, which was which makes sense within a single entity, meant that you could only get a maximum amount of raise. This year, it went to 24 and five, 24 years old, and five years of service, with uh, about a 15% cap on the increase. As, that's what's been reported. Um, so the way I look at free agency is they do not have anything close to U.S. sports leagues free agency. Right. They don't have, uh, it's still single entity. So in some ways the owners won, but the, the players are playing the long game and they're continuing mm -hmm. to incrementally increase their rights, get a little more, but without ch uh, challenging the business model, the business model is still, we're not going to bid against ourselves and, and have maximum income. So, so that's the free agency part of it. So the 215 one, though, was uh, – I forget it was 215 or 211 where they were bargaining from a difficult position because the league was in a bad position financially. Mm -hmm. um, and so they took a lot less. Uh, so they are they trying to – so they're basically splitting the difference now with, with well, getting a so little bit of gain but not too much? The 2015 one I'm referring to is 2015 to 2020, right? So this is right. a deal. And that's where they were threatening to go out. There was a threat of a work stoppage. It didn't get resolved until pretty close – before the actual uh, season was starting. Um, I think uh, the players were upset in 2015. They felt like they put all their ch chips into free agency and didn't get um, the, the real salary increases or, or any of the other additional benefits that really mattered. Um, right. 
And so one could argue that they made huge sacrifices in 2015, did not get a lot out of it. But the 2020, the argument, the, at least the, the talking point, the narrative I'm seeing from players is, is that, hey, those 2015 sacrifices were worth it because now we've got more free agency and we've got some of these other things. Not sure that they're right, but at least that they bought in. Progress, that. progress. So, so, Professor, just broadly from a, a sports perspective, MLS included, is the idea for free agency on the players' part just trying to get free agency uh, sooner rather than later, having a shorter window so that you have more freedom to move on? Is that kind of the overall goal? So, so two things I think what are at issue here. Um, clearly, um, 20, to get to be 28 years old, you're nearing the end of your career potentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, eight years of service in MLS, uh, a very small number of people were subjected to that. Um, so now it's 24 and five, there's a, and, and it's all designated players. And so you're, you know, you're talking about um, half the league, practically half the league's players. Now that's important, not because I think that they are um, feeling like there's a half the league's gonna move or that 15% increase in salary is gonna be achievable for all those players. And even if that's worth it. I really think what their what their their view was is that with 28 and 8, most of the players don't get anything. And so there's not a constituency to argue for more. This sets up the next uh, uh, CBA. You're going to have half to two-thirds of the league, especially with academies and more younger players who are eligible for free agency and are going to push for higher than 15%. So I really think it's okay. it's took it's taken like three CBAs before they're going to get to where they want to go. Got you. Right. Yeah, Professor. Um, so last week we were discussing an article comparing Liga MX and MLS and why, you know, leagues were attractive for different reasons. And the, the kind of main takeaway seemed to be that, you know, you can make more if you're a top player in the MLS, but for the average player, it's better to be in Liga MX. Um, and I'm wondering if this uh, new agreement addresses maybe that middle ground a little bit. So uh, to some extent, right, one of the problems uh, was the budget flexibility. So the budget rules, limited flexibility in that middle core. Um, I'm not so sure that it affects recruitment for Liga MX because those were the players who were eligible for that TAM money and that middle group. The players who are in the middle now are the um, kind of the journeyman players. Those players are now getting access because the, a lot of the TAM money has been converted to uh, GAM, to general allocation money, which can be used throughout your uh, roster. And so that is the real benefit of, uh, for those middle class players. There are some benefits. I think that the, the minimum salary for seniors is up to 109,000 by 2024. Uh, um, you know, it's a 15% increase in overall salary minimum budget which in the mm -hmm. prior CBA was 5% a year. So, you know, you're creeping up to, to uh, um, levels where you can compete for the middle of the road League MX player, or, or at least League MX and, and MLS could be closer, but it's still, it's probably still up there. Mm -hmm. So, so let's link it now and move on to the national teams. I, I don't mm -hmm. know if there, is there anything that sort of dovetails into each other? Because it seems like this soccer movement, people making money, uh, leagues, um, what's the status uh, with U.S. soccer and the, do they set, they, so they negotiate separately with the men and they right. negotiate separately with the women. That always seems to leave, there's like a watermark that happens when, when there's a, an agreement and they compare it to that. So what's the status uh, over at U.S. soccer? They're, they're having a lot of problems with a lot of things, but in, in the middle of it all, they're doing these negotiations. Yeah, so 
typically when you have two CBAs that are not simultaneous, uh, they're, they're an leapfrog approach. So mm. one sets the standard and the other leapfrogs ahead of it. And that has been true from the beginning on all sorts of things. Uh, just using per diem as an example, it was always before they tied them to each other. Um, the, the, the big talking point was how come men get like more per diem than women? But then after the women's deal, women got more than men. I mean, it, it, none of that is really logical, but the, uh, so, uh, the current deal for the men is, is expired. And so they're just working off the old deal. The women have a deal that is not yet expired, but of course they're in court to, to contest all sorts of aspects of the prior treatment and the current treatment. So, um, but they're, so, they're contesting, they're contesting the agreement that they signed, right? They're, they are contesting both the agreement they signed and even years before. It. Um, uh, so, also, so a little clawback, little clawback action. Yeah, I mean, some of this is there's there's multiple there's multiple counts um, that they're going after, but because uh, it's also dealing with conditions and mm -hmm. things that might not have been in the agreement. This is good for lawyers, Stephen. <laughs> this is good uh, for lawyers. Soccer law is a growing business. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, there are so many law firms. So it used to be Latham and Watkins had almost all the legal work, and they can't handle it all. So there are so many law firms that are being hired out. It's kind of crazy. Um, you know, I try to update on developments in the cases. And the thing I do not update on is just the number of, uh, you have to file for a new lawyer to work on the case. The number of lawyers working on the case keeps growing. Oh no, oh no, I mean, I'm, I'm having a divorce flashback. <laughs> divorce flashback. It's, it's not, yeah, it is definitely. So, um, so for the, the men right now are in a situation where they're actually trying to prompt U.S. soccer to negotiate over their um, to provide better better um, compensation for their new CBA, and they're getting no traction. And I think they're trying to use the women as mm -hmm. leverage. As, I, as I was just going to ask you that because they came out with this. They want three times. They want their the women's salary to be, you know, three x of what they're making now. Which you talked about. What did you call it? The uh, the leapfrog effect. Yeah, no, the three X is so that the men will get four or five X. I mean, five X, right. It, mm -hmm. Here's the real problem with, if the men were, so the, all of this seems to be uh, a, a, a strategy, right? It's tactical. This is, mm -hmm. this is, if this was the men were serious, like we want, we think the women should get more and, uh, and they were going to try to work for that. There's no reason for them to do that in the press. They could do that. Um, in their own negotiations, they could be saying, um, our, we're conditioning our pay on their pay. And, and you know what, there is a solution. There's somewhere in the middle where the yeah. U.S. soccer pays no more overall, but they pay, they divide the pay equally. Um, right. You know, so I mean, I mean, not that that's what either of them want, but you could imagine a situation where the men have to give something up for the women to get something. Now, nobody, nobody's in the men are pushing for that. I'm not, not even sure the women are pushing for that. Obviously, mm -hmm. the bargaining position to start with is we both want more. Yeah. Right, right. But right now, the the way to get a new deal for that that for the men to get the women a new deal would be better served if you, you adopted the Australia model where they would do joint bargaining or in Australia it's one union. Um, yeah. That makes it a lot easier. If you're bargaining separately, that leapfrog effect in it is inevitable because if the men are negotiating now and they agreed on something and the women were negotiating you know, in, in a year or two, it's going to be different. The, the, the numbers right. change. 
Right. And, and it sets up an adversarial sort of situation because you look back and you're mad. And uh, so, but and also the PR game that both everybody's playing, um, you know, U.S. soccer has been sort of uh, charged with putting out some misinformation out there. I, I don't know, but probably both sides are. Grail, you had a question? Yeah. Well, no, it, I, the professor kind of answered it, but wouldn't it just make sense to try to get them both on the same cycle? Essentially, yeah. basically establish, you know, I'm being hypothetical, 2021 is the year where we're, we're just starting over. Everybody's going to be using that in four-year increments or whatever it is. And to your point, you're not playing one off the other. And, you know, I mean, look, let's face it. I, I think it's going, to be, it's going to be difficult probably for the women to get as much as the men, but maybe they come a lot closer. Um, but you're not doing that tit for tat thing constantly, which seems to be going on every time one of their deals comes up, it's being basically evaluated based on the other person's deal. And it right. doesn't, it wouldn't, doesn't seem professor like it helps either side really. Well, so some of this is path dependence. You know, you had yeah. a deal, it's gonna run out this time and the other party signs a deal and you don't wanna sign a deal for two years because it's a lot of effort to get one done. So it just ends up being off cycle. Uh, some of it is perhaps intentional. Um, because the World Cups are at different cycles. So yeah, 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 right. To World Good Cup. point. You know, yeah. That's where the money is. And if, if you know, the, the men are going to have a harder time because their last cycle wasn't looking all that good, you know, because they didn't have a World Cup in there. And so, you know, that, so some of it is, is, is a world uh, scheduling thing. Uh, you, um, you know, what, what, what I find cool. interesting, Professor, too, too is um, the women linked their salaries to what was happening in their domestic league which right. seemed to not serve them very well it was sort of honorable in a way i thought because they wanted that league to succeed and so they linked it together but then it seemed like they walked away from the financial responsibility that was put into that league should not come out of their their national team sort of monies which seems a little uh i don't say naive it's not the word it's just sort of like it's a business it's a business and that 10 million's got to come from and go somewhere well the the women have you know they have a legitimate point that we do extra work for extra pay right mm -hmm. so the ones who have contracts to play in nwsl paid for by u.s soccer could ar argue that's sort of a separate thing the problem is is that money's fungible and they agreed to an overall compensation that included this work playing for nwsl and playing for u.s soccer and uh that was clearly something they bargained for they want a guaranteed pay and they, that's part, partly in NWSL. They wanted NWSL to survive. If, at the time they signed that deal, even back in, in 2016, so the most recent time they signed the deal, um, it's not clear NWSL was gonna survive. It's still you know, a fledgling league. And that's so um, getting US soccer to continue to commit to pay those salaries is a way to um, anchor in the league. You Keep know, it going, yeah. So I do think that the, um, the women are caught. They want NWSL salaries. They Some of them still need those salaries. They don't have options abroad that are gonna provide anything close to salary. Right. Um, and they, they, they're only gonna get that from US soccer. They're not gonna get that from the NWSL owners. So some of them still need it. So I'm not sure they can walk away from it entirely. But then what they like to do is not have that included in the overall compensation because it makes the, the guaranteed numbers look well, it's almost the flip. It's it, the women are the flip side of what the men are because you know after all these years of struggling, MLS is finally sort of seems to be on pretty good you know standing. 
Uh, now, the, the men's team has gone uh, into the gutter here a little bit and is costing money, I would imagine. There was, what, 8,000 people at the last game. So uh, the women nationally are, um, you know, created a lot. It seems to be their season is the World Cup every four years. And the men, even though the U.S. men's national team used to be a big, uh, you know, marquee event, now it's not so much. But the league seems to be kind of solid. So um, I, I think in, in some way, they, you know, it's it's – it's tough. It pulls at the heartstrings because this is the third attempt at a women's league. And uh, I, I tell people every summer, you know, this past when the, the women won the World Cup, they're like, you want to support the women, go to the games domestically. That's what can help them best. Well, there, there's one other factor here, um, and the women complain about this, and I think there's probably a legitimate issue. The, you know, Soccer United marketing mm-hmm. uh, bundles together MLS and U.S. men's national team and women's national team and a bunch of other things, but, but not NWSL. And that was in part because NWSL, when the some deal was signed, NWSL wasn't in, around. And, yeah. Or maybe it was just starting. I think it just started. And so that might be part of the next 2022 when everything kind of ends with MLS deal and they're looking around for a new deal. It might be that you put NWSL in uh, because there is some concern in the women that one of the subsidies that's for MLS that's not factored in is the extent to which national team games are subsidizing MLS. I'm not positive that's the case because it's all bundled and we don't know what they're paying. No, no, the numbers are, right. right. And, and, and moreover, um, peop, a lot of people uh, don't properly factor in that one of the things that, that the networks pay for is, is volume. They need, they need content. And MLS provides a lot of content. If you just had national team games, it's not enough content to justify the fee, probably. And so, you know, you do need league games. So it's not like it's MLS is providing nothing to that. But it is that if you've got NWSL in there, maybe you get something. But I'm not sure whether NWSL is going to want to do that. Right. We had, a, we, had, we had Rick Resnick on last week from Univision. He's an executive over there, which is like another factor that gets thrown in that, that you know, the numbers for the men's uh, are really high and the women uh, very low. So with the, the, um, the Spanish-speaking uh, right. population. Uh, Grail? Yeah, so, so, Professor, what do you think about MLS at some point taking a much bigger stake in the women's game and having, you know, the essentially the WNBA as part of MLS, which to me, you know, Barclays is doing it over in Europe. Um, you've got kind of, you know, or, or having kind of the sister, I don't want that, I don't want this to come across as sexist, but the female version of existing teams. Right. So that also, I just think, you know, it just, there's a logical connection. You've got the male team, you've got the female team, you've got the infrastructure. What do you think of that as being a possibility? Well, you know, if, if it, if the numbers penciled out, I'm sure MLS um, owners, are yeah. I mean, that's the bottom line yeah. is, is if they're not, you mean Robert Kraft, Robert Kraft looks at the bottom line, <laughs> go yeah. figure. Well, I mean, here's the, here's the example in Los Angeles where I am. I mean, AEG had a team with, you know, with, with uh, um, a superstar on it and, you know, LA soul and, and mm-hmm. they, um, they ran them for one year and decided it's just not going to work. Um, until they figure out it's going to work, it's difficult to get them to agree to do it. You yeah. could imagine U.S. soccer imposing a requirement that, you know, mm-hmm. first division professional teams, you know, must have youth academies and they must have, you know, a women's team. I mean, it's that in Europe, they're starting to go in that yeah. direction. You could imagine that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would, that would be, if U.S. soccer wanted to really 
um, uh, be heavy handed about this, that'd be the way to get going. I'm not positive NWSL wants that though. Yeah. I don't want to be, well, to grill your point. I mean, you don't want to say sister club, right? That's exactly what this, the, the NWSL doesn't want. They don't want to be yeah. the second club or the, you know, uh, um, charity case or anything like that. They want to um, stand on their own. Yeah. Although if they could, if there could be more money put behind a venture like that, again, to me, money, money right. makes a big difference in the conversation. And I, and I totally get that they want to be a standalone and stuff, but it just haven't, hasn't proven to be successful yet. Right. Well, it's, some of it is, some of it is um, organization. You know, they've gone through a lot of commissioners. Sure. Um, they can't quite get, uh, they're not in a stable, they're starting to get a better TV package, but they've been, you know, instable in their TV package. They've been, there's instability in the, in the teams, you know, so it's early MLS days where you're losing mm -hmm. teams, you know, Boston and all that. Um, there are, um, so, that, you know, there are some issues. I, interestingly enough, but right now, the way things are looking, you could imagine NWSL just starting to find its footing and then finding its way behind and getting lost again because of Europe's um, renewed uh, investment. Yeah. yeah or, Players will go there. Sure. Not even renewed, but an, an initial, yeah, new, right? Yeah. Well, I have an idea for a new commissioner for the NWSL. Yeah. It's Professor Stephen Banks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, he's got my vote. <laughs> let's get him, let's get him out behind that, uh, behind the bookcase and get him out in front of people. So, well, you are in front of people with your, uh, with your students. That must be so fun. Uh, professor to teach uh, students. You probably have a lot of international students, but a lot of Americans right. as well, which uh, which love the beautiful game. Talk a little bit about your students and what the well, interaction is like with them. Interestingly, so I had this year in my international sports law, I had a, a, a woman who played UCLA varsity soccer team um, then was working with the Galaxy to help start their Girls Development Academy. And it is an interesting process, um, you know, because because LA Galaxy is actually an interesting example. Men's uh, team, a, a fully funded girls development academy with no girls professional team. So there's literally no nowhere to go incentive for them to <laughs> do this, but they're doing it. It's a college, um, maybe a scholarship, I guess. You know, but it's yeah, it's just it's but it's not I mean, it's, you know, it's not it's a difficult process. I, I think um, the interesting thing in teaching the students is, is um, first of all, uh, I, I have asked this question every year, you know, how many of your fans of MLS teams um, who follow soccer, and this is both my soccer law seminar as well as my um, international sports, um, the percentage that follow MLS has not increased. It is still yeah. wow. overwhelmingly Europe um, or if, you know, some students from South America or Mexico. It is not MLS. They will never say it now. Uh, occasionally you get a Galaxy fan or you get someone from someplace like Timbers or something like that, but it, it's just not there. So that's that's telling to me. They don't wear jerseys. Yeah. You know, they don't wear the jerseys. I, have you been to an, a Galaxy game? They have not. I had last year in my soccer law seminar, um, I decided, well, we'll do a, a session on playoffs because playoffs yeah. are totally different than the um, single table system in other areas. And we'll talk about kind of the, the difference between cups and playoffs and and promotion relegation and put all that together because it really is just you know two sides of the same point in some respects without the downside risk of the promotion relegation and i had them actually watch the mls playoffs were on because it's my seminars in the evening so i had actually watch play a playoff game they were surprised they were like this is pretty good it's pretty interesting right. so it was an exciting game and 
And um, one of them said, I, you know, the, game, the seminar ended, the game wasn't over, and someone said, well, I got to go home and turn this on. I got to find out what, t- what channel it's on. Oh, so, you're, you're converting people. Some I love of them it. want, I mean, like, you just got to see a game, you know? I think you yeah. need to do a field trip. I think a field trip down to Carson, California with a box dinner or something. I don't know. Do that or, or <laughs> down to LAFC. Um, yeah. Uh, um, or we could go to the Central District of California, uh, the courthouse in LA, and, and we can watch the U.S. Women's National Team lawsuit. And, <laughs> and yeah, no, no. I'd rather go to the first one, not the second one. You know, this is a, this is a, we could do a whole show on this, but I wanted to ask you this quickly because, um, you know, FIFA, when you deal with you, uh, you know, getting a World Cup together, you know, I know right now uh, with the current president, things are happening. He actually made a claim, something about um, you should be able to bribe foreign companies to pay a to pay a bribe legally and you can't do that in the united states so my question to you is as a, as a lawyer right as a professor if you were involved in fifa and the u.s bid to try and win a world cup the amount of illegal stuff that you must see kind of happening you have to maybe turn a blind eye towards because you're you're dealing with all these different cultures around the world where, where people like i am bribing what's the problem it's a bribe i don't know what accent that is but it doesn't matter but you know what i'm saying um, how do you make heads or tails of that if you're uh, like someone like the United States? Yeah, I mean, so we have something called the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, which, That's is, what it is, yeah. which is designed to prevent um, um, individual or companies from bribing um, public officials abroad. And it's to us seems sort of completely um, um, the right thing, but in other countries they are kind of flabbergasted because this is the way you do business. Like, and we're talking not about public officials like the president. We're talking about the customs official just to get your 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 uh, goods into into port. That's like, you know, we call them customs duties. They call them, you know, things you give to the actual customs official. I mean, that's the gatekeeper. Like, you know, yeah, it's a whole different deal. So it is challenging. And then beyond that. When you look at the amount of per, per diems and per hotel, the, the, the five-star hotels they put FIFA oh, um, yeah. officials from various countries or, or football officials from various countries in, yeah. that exceeds the you know, median income, annual income for people from some of these countries. And so you know, just even on what we would call the incidentals are themselves perceived as, as bribes in a way. You know, they're like luxuries. Yeah. So. When you're at that level, it, it is somewhat difficult. I, I do think that um, the U.S. is constrained in a way, but what the U.S. provides, and people don't like to hear this, is U.S. provides access to a lot of um, markets and a, you know a lot of people and a lot of um, sponsors and and you know there's a lot of money to be made mm-hmm. having World right. Cup here. Bottom line, yeah. You know, and so that's that's the actually the bribery that you know you're talking about. But it's only one. But it, it it's a it's like a it's bribery doesn't work as well when it's everybody will benefit if we have this um, mm-hmm. you know this World Cup here. What the you know people want to individually you know benefit. And so that's that's the challenge. I had always said we we had said it on the show earlier and other various incarnations of the show. But basically that if anybody was going to sort of take FIFA to task, it was going to be the United States, and and we did. Um, have you seen changes or have heard? you know, of things, or is it just well, too big of a, an amoeba to, to, to wrangle? You know, a lot, there was a lot of FIFA reform done. I, I just published an article on this. There was huge FIFA reform done, but most of what it was done was, was essentially undone. It was, it was the kind of things that were symbolic changes. We need to bring in outsiders. We need to have more independent directors and committees. We need to have 
um, integrity checks, um, none of that. Where, where it was real, where it, like, boy, there's some people here trying to do something, Infantino got them out. You know, they, he enacted um, yeah. provisions that allowed um, them to remove someone in between FIFA Congresses and then you'd have a new person put in and, you know, that's done. Or putting more women on boards, which was an attempt to avoid, literally avoid the good old boy network because yeah. yeah. there's some evidence that women, um, there's less corruption, corruption when women are on boards. And I think that's mostly a function of the fact that women are not part of this um, social good old boy network. And so happened, right? yeah. tend to um, realize that there's someone here who's truly independent. Um, but they co-opted that. All the women who, who might know something have been um, you know, prevented uh, from ele elevating to power. And so a lot of it has been just um, short-circuited um, pretty quickly. Pretty quickly, yeah. yeah. Meet yeah. the old boss, same as the new boss, right? Yeah, and yeah. it sounds like Infantino, um, obviously, you know, his number one goal is to generate more revenue. Right. And he doesn't have any problem going directly to heads of clubs and bypassing the head of UEFA right. to talk about his idea for doing the big, uh, the new league. Yeah. That would be a Viva Sponsor League. So he's a little bit of a hypocrite himself because he seems to be engaging in some of these practices himself that he said he was going to root out. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that um, what he's doing is, to the extent that there's obstructionism um, on the National Association, uh, level, he's doing it on the. Um, uh, he's saying, "Well, let's go straight to the clubs and try to, you know, attract them with the money." Mm -hmm. okay, well, great stuff. Well, uh, Commissioner Banks, we appreciate you being on uh, our Thanks. show today. <laughs> um, I would be uh, in deep trouble. Yeah, we're going to start we the social media effort <laughs> right after the show, Professor. Actually, though, but but speaking about that, uh, Professor, uh, send us a link to your article, and we'll tweet it out. Uh, as, as we send out uh, sure. this as well. Um, we appreciate you talking to us on OTB. Um, boy, it sounds like a fantastic class out at, uh, at UCLA. I was just out there, just got back. So um, it, it was nice. But we appreciate you joining us on Over the Ball. Uh, please, you. as I know, you will keep up with all this stuff and explain uh, all the minutia to, the, uh, to your young plebes that are here in the other end of the, of the computer. Uh, Professor Banks from UCLA, thank you so much for joining us on Over the Ball. Thanks, guys. Well, that was an enlightening gentleman. Uh, I was actually paying attention to that professor. Uh, most of my college career was just sitting in the back with my <laughs> mullet, not listening to anything that was going on. But uh, he's a really, a, a really a, a great interview. Good, really insightful. Love that stuff. He, no, he's great. And uh, I, you know, look, the the, the good news is that um, it's still the deal has to be signed off on the right. CBA. But uh, the good news is uh, players are going to be making more money. Which is, Which is good. Good. They'll they'll have a shorter period till free agency. Um, yeah, I think it's it, uh, MLS moving in the right direction. You know, as, as he said, kind of um, kind of a, a stage. A, uh, it's a three step process, and probably the next CBA, which will come around in 2024, I believe, will probably get them really to the level that they need to be. But uh, MLS, progress, MLS, progress. Little train that could NWSL. Not so sure. Um, yeah. So speaking of the women, uh, yeah. they were in the CONCACAF tournament there. They, they did what they had to do. They beat Canada uh, in the final to win. They're in the Olympics. But a lot of people weren't impressed with what was happening on the field. Yeah, you know, I, I was, um, you know, new head coach. Um, and uh, Does he have a system, Grail, that you, you – No, know? no, I'm not, I'm not concerned about his system. I, I think he's, what he's doing is kind of smart because uh, 
He's seeing what he has. He's making sure, A, that they won the thing so that they qualify for the Olympics, but just trying out different different players in different positions and all that. But overall, I'd give it about a six. From I, I caught two of the matches. Their passing was just terrible. When I when in, in one of those, I think it was the game against uh, it was either Mexico or Canada. I can't believe they just. Uh, it was a Canada match. They had something like seventy-two misplaced passes over the course of ninety minutes. I mean, they just weren't sharp. But I like I like the overall goal of playing kind of an attacking style. So I I like the idea of the way they'll be playing. They just have to figure it out. Good. Yeah. Well, I mean. It's, it, you know, it's tough when you compare the men with the women, um, you know, because it's, it's apples and oranges. So, uh, all right, well, good stuff. So let's get on now uh, before we get going here. Um, I'm looking forward to see Liverpool playing this weekend, uh, which, which should be fun on Saturday, 1230 NBC. Uh, it's their main their headliner. What games are you going to be watching, boys? Well, Monday we got Chelsea Man United. So uh, that's a natural at, for you at, at Stamford Bridge. So let's uh, it's 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 uh, let's see where the, they are. Uh, let's see where the Blues are at the moment. So I'll be watching that. Sam, you're going to be watching some game in Zaire or something, or some bizarre. <laughs> where are you watching? Syria? I don't have that channel yet, but um, <laughs> there's yeah, it's a big weekend in Serie A. There's Lazio Inter on Sunday, two forty-five ESPN Plus. Uh, Inter, as I mentioned, are tied now for first with Juve. Uh, and Lazio are just one point behind. So this will go a long way to figuring out who really is the main title challenger of the two. So uh, we're running out of time, boys. So I just want to get to this uh, trivia question. We have a Soccer America trivia question. We're going to put out there. We're going to have a question every week. Uh, g- give us your answer. Text it to us or on Facebook. The first one to get back to us with the correct answer. We'll read your name on the podcast the following week and a little bit about yourselves. Uh, some of our listeners. So, are you guys ready for the question? Yeah, I'm, talking, I'm talking to you two. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm not going to answer, but go ahead. Right, exactly. Because <laughs> you probably can't. No, who, who knows? All right. Here's a Soccer America trivia question provided to us by Mike Wartola. Does the man ever sleep? And he just sits at his computer. All right. Since MLS's 1996 launch, at least one World Cup champion from 1990 to 2014 has played in the league. How many of the 11 can you name? First one to get us that answer, those answers, those 11 answers, I guess, because they're going to probably Google half of them, uh, <laughs> gets their names read. All right, boys. So uh, I'd like to thank our, our guest today, Professor Stephen Bank from UCLA, a professor of law over there, uh, and uh, our sponsor, Soccer America and Ticket IQ, as well as Sam Griswold. And what's your name? Grail Hallett, the yeah. mighty might of the midfield. For Over the Ball, I'm Kevin Flynn. And the guys, we'll talk to you next week. Remember, 11 World Cup champions. Who were they? Can you name them all? We'll talk to you next time on OTB. See you, everybody.